Give your Bibles. We're going to be in Matthew today. Um, we are wrapping up uh, our series on the Lord's Prayer today, which is like a mini-sermon series um, in the middle of a mini-sermon series on the Lord's, on the, on the Sermon on the Mount, inside of our series on Matthew, right? So uh, as somebody said this morning, kind of like an inception thing, right? It's just kind of folding in on itself. We're just keep, keep unpacking and unpacking and unpacking. So today we're, we're wrapping up this mini-series on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, prayer, this universal instinct to cry out when we are in great need, something beyond us, or in deep gratitude. Um, but Christian prayer is different. It arises from faith and trust in a living God who is active and present. Um, and so Jesus teaches his followers to pray in this amazing sermon that he's preaching that Matthew teaches about. Matthew, this guy who is uh, an outsider, right? And he is following Jesus around, writing down what he saw and heard and telling us this thing about Jesus. So since we're wrapping up a series, a mini-series inside of a mini-series inside of a series, I, by in accordance with the rules that we've decided on, uh, I get to nerd out today uh, uh, and uh, tell you, like, I just, I just love scripture so much, like how it fits together. It just, it has not yet, and I don't believe that it will, cease to kind of blow my mind in its beauty and complexity in how, like, I don't know, I don't know, I can't think of another thing in the world that is so simple and beautiful, or uh, uh, I've heard it said before, uh, it's shallow enough for a child to play in, uh, but deep enough to drown an elephant, right? Like scripture is both of those things at the same time. And so I get to nerd out today uh, uh, as we're wrapping this up uh, because this prayer, uh, you know what, Let's, let's read it. So Jesus has told his disciples, There's a way that you don't pray, and instead he's told them to pray this way, uh, and he says this, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then later the church added, if you ever prayed this in, in public with other people, the church added uh, this, this tagline at the end, you know, that, that just sums it up. Uh, uh, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the power and the glory forever and ever. That's not in the scripture, it's not in texts, uh, but we add that, and I think it is a beautiful in, way to end this prayer when we pray it together, or even pray it uh, alone. So there's this, this text. All right, so here's, here's the nerd part that you may not enjoy, uh, and I'll, I honestly, I, I just, I don't even care, because I, I love it so much. I, I want you to love it, I want you to love it, but. Uh, here's the deal. So this 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 text this this prayer. Um, looking at it back back from this side of the cross, right? We we know things now. Like Matthew's leading up and he's telling us a story, but we know things, right? We know things from this side. Um, it's it's amazing how it's trinitarian in structure. I mean, it starts off our Father. In heaven, crying out to the Father who is in heaven. And then it moves into this prayer that Jesus like lives out. 
Jesus lives out these pieces of the prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father, Jesus is the Son of God who became a man so men could become sons of God. Right? So we have that in Jesus. So, and then he says, hallowed be thy name. Who else? God, God stir up in me and in the nations a deep reverence, value, respect, honor of who you are and what you were like. Jesus lives this out. He is the model of what this looks like, to stir up his own heart and affection for the Father and then to lead others into it so his name is made great. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Jesus' kingdom, God's kingdom comes. How does that come? It comes through the death, burial, and resurrection of this Jesus. How we have this kingdom coming, it doesn't come like other kingdoms. Other kingdoms in the history of time, they come with great power and great might and great demonstrations of authority and they, they put down what is, what, what, is, what is standing in their way and instead Jesus goes and he submits to the authorities and dies. His kingdom comes in a way that we've never seen before. And so Jesus' God's kingdom comes and Jesus brings that about in his own life. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. There's gonna be this prayer at the end of Matthew that Matthew tells us about. Jesus says, hey, I don't want this. Let this cup pass from me is what he says. And he, then he says this, but not my will, but yours. Thy will be done. Jesus lives this out. Praise this. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus lives this trusting him for his daily bread, for God, for his daily sustenance. There's this amazing, amazing story. This is, uh, Jesus is sitting, uh, they're, they're passing through this, this part of town, um, part of the country, um, that people don't usually go, right? People didn't even go. Uh, Jewish people didn't even go. And so uh, they're passing through and they get to the part of the day, Jesus is tired, which by the way, amazing line, Jesus is tired. The one for whom and through whom all things are created is tired and sits down by a well. Which is how I justify taking so many naps. Anyway, so he's tired, he's walking through, the creator of all things, tired, sits down. And so he says, he sends his disciples into town to uh, go get some food. He says, go get some food. Um, and so they go to get some food and Jesus strikes up this conversation. I'm not gonna get into that, but his disciples come back, find him sh- Find him talking to this woman. And this is a crazy scene. They're like, he's not supposed to be talking to this woman. What's, what's going on? Like, this is not culturally appropriate. What's happening? And so they kind of go up to Jesus in this crazy conversation. They're like, uh, we have, we have the food that you sent us to get. And Jesus says to them, I got food you don't know about. And they say, then why you send us to Jack's? We got biscuits. Like, and Jesus is like, like he just goes on to explain that like his very, the very thing that sustains him, his daily bread, is doing the will of the Father. And that what he's doing is living this out. And that is even more important than eating. And so not only that, then he goes and he dies. And right before he dies, he does this thing where he breaks the bread. We're going to engage in this beautiful drama at the end of the service, Lord willing. And, and breaks the bread and gives the wine and says, this is my body. This is my blood. And he lives out that he is our daily sustenance. Yes, we need food to live, but also we need all the spiritual gifts that we get from Jesus. So he's living this out. Forgive us? How? Through his own death and resurrection. So we forgive others, lead us not into temptation. Jesus' whole life, not just this one crazy scene uh, that happens in Matthew 4 that Matthew tells us about, but his whole life is marked by trial and testing and temptation, but he was not overcome. There's this crazy, this is wild scene. 
Peter, this guy is close to him. He's one of the one of the close guys close to him. And uh, Peter, Jesus is. He says this. He asks him a question, and Peter's like, "Look, you're the son of God." And Jesus, Jesus is like, "That's an amazing answer." You're like, you don't even you don't even know what you're saying. God gave you that answer. And then in the next breath, Jesus turns around, and starts talking about how he's going to go and die. And Peter, who just said this thing, amazing thing, goes, "Hey, man, you got to stop talking all the time about going and dying." And Jesus says, "Get thee behind me, Satan." Constantly being tempted, even by those closest to him. Constant trials, constant tests, all through his life, but never, ever gives in. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then we get to this last part. How do we as Christians overcome? How do we now live? And how do we not be led? It's the leading of the Holy Spirit. Starts with a father. We have the life of Christ in the middle, and it ends with the Holy Spirit coming inside of us and equipping us to fight temptation and trial. Isn't that amazing? It's just so beautiful and so cool. Also, it's this amazing. How how then do we pray it, though, right? It's this modeled and set up this way, but how do we then pray it? Oh, by the way, also. All right. Second nerd thing. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. So he go, he's tempted in the wilderness, right? Or we just went through this scene in Matthew 4 where Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. Command these stones to become bread. And then in the Lord's prayer, give us as they are daily bread. He's tempted in the wilderness uh, and Jesus answers, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And in the prayer, let us not, lead us not into temptation. And, and he's tempted in the wilderness. Satan shows him all the kingdoms of the world in the prayer, your kingdom come. Isn't that just amazing? Like the depth and beauty and richness of scripture and him teaching us to pray, teaching us about himself, what God is like in the very prayer that we're praying. But then it's for us to pray, right? It's not just this teaching lesson about who Jesus is. It's also for us to pray. And it's this whole prayer addressing our needs, our human needs, the things that we need. First, by bringing us to God and then only second by letting, leading us to ask for our needs. It starts off with this, this kind, of, just kind of in two halves, uh, focusing on God at first. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then it moves to give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. And these are the requests for us on the back end. And I think even in the beginning, even in the first half, this is addressing our needs. It is a thing that we need in this world for God's name to be glorified, for him to be first, for his kingdom to come, for his will be done. That is too for our good. And then we move into the things that we pray for. And even in the praying, I think it teaches us priorities. There's a time when we pray just to, to, to run into prayer and just to, you're driving down the road and something pops in your head and just to cry out to God in prayer. There's times for that. But Jesus gives us this prayer as a structure for our normal daily prayer life or for our normal uh, uh, prayer life to, to expand on, to open up, to meditate on, to learn from. So it teaches us priority. The thing that we need most is for the Father to be honored for his kingdom to come and for his will to be done. Um, it is often, we are often really, really quick. I'm often really, really quick to move on with what I need and not slow down and hear what God's major concerns are first. To rush right to the leading when there may be more important things that I need to hear first. 
um, that his name is honored, that his kingdom come, that people in the world are fed and given their daily bread. Um, And so I think that the Lord's prayer teaches us to prioritize our needs. And it's fascinating to me that Jesus puts last what I most often put first. Most often when I pray, um, I rush in and talk about the thing that I need tomorrow. Here's the thing that I want. Here's where I need you to lead me. Here's what I need you to show me. Here's what I need from you. And, and Jesus just puts that at the end. He, he, as a matter of fact, he starts with, when we get to the, our, even to the part with our needs, uh, 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 the part, give us this day our daily bread. That's the present. Help me with what I need today. And then he goes to the past. Forgive me my sins. As if, and we just, I just rush past that to, hey, God, here's the thing that I need help with. Here's where I need you to take me. And he's like, hey, first, Jesus is like, hey, that's, I, I hear you. First, I need you to think about who you are and where you're at, who I am, what I am, what, I am, what I've done, who you are and where you're at, where you've come from, and the healing and the forgiveness that I've given you. And then we'll talk about where we're going. I mean, you know that your past, what you've done and what's been done to you, has a great impact on your future, right? And God wants to deal with that first, help us deal with that in prayer first and work through those things and then we move on to praying for the future. I, I just rush in so often and uh, I, I don't know. You, um, you know how uh, we say a lot, you know, I, I do a lot, you know, you know what, I'm gonna pray about that, right? So I think I say a lot, mm. A lot of times I'm just saying it because I want the conversation to be over, you know? Mm, I'm going to go pray about that right now. No, i got to go right now and pray about that. Uh, but, you know, like somebody offers, like, promotions coming up or, like, hey, like, should I buy this house? Should we get this car? Whatever it is. And we say as Christians, as part of our language, like, I'm going to pray about that. And that's not bad. Like, you should go pray about these things. Uh, but usually what I pray about is, God, show me what I, what I need, what, what's going to happen. Should I buy this house? Should I not? Should I take this job? Should I take that job? God, show me where you would lead me. Uh, God, would you just uh, uh, open any doors that I need to walk through and share any windows I'm trying to climb through. You know, something like that, right? I don't know why I mocked that. I'm so sorry. It's fine. It's a good way to pray. I'm not saying it's not. Except for the fact that sometimes we pray it, right? We, just, we, we say that, but then we're looking for doors, right? You know what I mean? It's like, God, just show me the doors, and you're like, boop, 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 oh, three seats together. We should go to Europe. Jesus loves me so much. You know what I mean? Like, you're just looking for the thing, you know? I'm blessed. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying wrong to pray that. You should pray that. Like, God, show me the way and lead me. But I just rush straight there as if my priorities and my past don't need to be straightened out. And so Jesus puts the things that we ask for, things that we need for our guiding and our leading at the end after we've worked through these other important things in prayer. And here's the thing that Jesus says that we need when we get to the end of this prayer for our future. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The thing that I need is to not fall into temptation and sin and the evil that is out to get me. That's the thing that I need, according to Jesus' prayer. The thing that I need first is not to get out of the suffering, not to get out of the struggle. The thing that I need first is not to fall under, fall into temptation 
and testing that causes me to fail. That's the thing that I need. I was trying to find a way not to use this, but this guy named, uh, this preacher named uh, Tim Keller, he said this. I hate quoting Tim because I hate when it's helpful. Uh, it's too helpful. It bothers me. Uh, but he said this thing. He says, the, the scripture, historian scripture is that 10,000 pounds of suffering cannot ultimately ruin us, but an ounce of sin can. Oh, it bothers me how helpful that is. It's so good. It's true. We can face suffering. God will sustain us through us. We can face loss and God will sustain us, sustain us through it. But if we fall under, sin gets into us and begins to corrupt us. And this evil in the world and the evil inside of us can corrupt us and break us and ultimately ruin us. So, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. All right, so real quick, uh, there's a bit of... It's a bit of, you know, there's a question here. There's some questions, two questions, really. Lead us not into temptation. Well, here's, here's the first question with lead us not into temptation. There's actually a verse in James, this guy named James, writing later in the Bible, Scripture, says God doesn't lead you into temptation. Uh, 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 okay, second thing, it's kind of concerning, not concerning, but a question that comes up is, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us evil. It also says that, hey, you could, should consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials and temptations and struggles of many kind. If it is to be of great joy because these trials and these struggles, struggles shape me, if that's the case, then why should I not want to be led into them? Make sense? Uh, questions? So here's the deal. I don't want to get too far into this uh, uh, because that's not the point of the sermon. Uh, I want to ask you to trust me. If you want to talk about this later, we can. But I really think that what, how we're to best understand what Jesus is saying here is not just that God is, I think there's a lot of mystery here, but anyway, the main thing that we need to understand is that what Jesus is teaching us to pray is do not allow us to be led into temptation that overwhelms us but rescue us from the evil one. Dear Father, lead us in a way that we will be able to resist the temptations that surround us. Swoop down and rescue us from the wiles of the evil one and from the power of all his evil works in the world. We need your help. I think it's pretty clear, even though there are some things that we can debate and question, it's pretty clear this is what Jesus is teaching us to pray. That there are tests and there are trials, and we pray that we are not overcome. That we are not trapped in a way that we cannot get out of. So, there will be trials, there will be tests, and we need his strength Jesus is teaching us through this whole prayer, this incredibly important thing that we, the Christian life is a Christian life of not increasing independence, but increasing dependence. When we raise our children, right, one of the things that we're wanting is we're wanting increasingly for them to be able to go out and live life on their own, right? The goal is by the time they leave the house, that they are equipped to go be gospel lights, to love the right things, to be able to feed themselves something other than cereal, right? That's what we want for them, is to be able to go out in the world, to raise them up, to be increasingly independent from us. The Christian life, however, is a life of increasing 
dependence. In every aspect of our life, learning more and more and more to trust God and be dependent on him for everything past, present, and future. So when we pray these things, it's like, hey, it's, it's God, I know that today out there, there is an enemy that would love nothing more than to see me stumble and fall, and apart from you, a 100% chance I will. I am never going to reach a place in my Christian walk where I do not need God's help in facing the trials and temptations that I will go through today and tomorrow and the next day. Here's one of the frustrating things about getting older. You think you've conquered some sins and you find a whole slew of new ones just cropping up. It's crazy. Like some of the stuff that I struggled with when I was a kid, you know, you feel like you get that mastered. You're like, good, this should be a cakewalk from here on out. And then all kinds of new sins and, and temptations and trials crop up. It's just a whole, it's, it feels like it's never ending. I will constantly be learning. I will constantly be dependent on God to face all of the things that will come up in my life, all of the trials and all of the struggles. I think sometimes, too, I think I grew up, you know, I grew up afraid of, you know, things like, uh, you know, playing Dungeons and Dragons in the movie Seventh Seal. You know what I mean? Like, like these scary, like, uh, occult things. And, and you should be. It's, you should. Like, I'm not saying you shouldn't be. But I, I didn't, I don't think I fully grasped the way that the devil fights, the way that evil tries to trap us, right? Like, I just expected evil to show up, you know, I don't know. Like a bag of cocaine and some waffles. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, hey, like, and you're like, no, I love Jesus too much. You're like, oh, he defeated us. He loves Jesus too much for like our very affront. It's not that way, though. It sneaks in. You know what I mean? Like, it's, here's what I mean. Oh, you know what? So there's this book uh, called uh, The Screwtape Letters, written by this guy named C.S. Lewis. Have you heard of him? Anyway, so he wrote, he wrote this book. It's this crazy, it's crazy, because it's written from the perspective of a demon, Right? So it's written from a perspective of of one demon to another. So, for example, when it talks about the enemy, they're talking about God. Here's one of the things that uh, the older demon is trying to teach the younger demon. Uh, This younger, this this man that this demon is is, is supposed to be uh, affecting uh, has become a Christian. And uh, this is what the older demon says. Uh, talking about his and him and his mom and their relationship. When two humans have lived together for many years, it usually happens that each has tones of voice and expressions of face which are almost unendurably irritating to the other. Work on that. Bring fully into the consciousness of your patient that particular lift of his mother's eyebrows which he learned to dislike in the nursery and let him think how much he dislikes it. Let him assume that she knows how annoying it is and does it to annoy. If you know your job, he will notice the immense improbability. If, sorry, if you, if, if you know your job, he will not notice the immense improbability of that assumption. And of course, never let him suspect that he has tones and looks which similarly annoy her. As he cannot see or hear himself, this is easily managed. In civilized life, domestic hatred usually expresses itself by saying things which would appear to be quite harmless on paper. The words are not offensive, but in such a tone or in such a moment that they are not far short of a blow in the face. To keep this game up, you must see to it that each of those two fools has a sort of double standard. 
Your patient must demand that all his own utterances are to be taken at their face value and judged simply on the actual words while at the same time judging all of his mother's utterances with the fullest and most oversensitive interpretation of the tone and of the context and suspected intention. She must be encouraged to do the same. I don't like that. That makes me uncomfortable. Just this week, I was trying to throw a pity party. If you're thinking, Chris, what are you trying to throw a pity party about? You don't know pity parties. You don't need a reason. Matter of fact, you've got to make up some. Sometimes. I had no good reasons for throwing the pity party this week. But man, I was making up some good reasons. Insane things that made no sense at all. Just trying to feel sorry for myself for some reason. Looking for logs to throw on that cold fire. I think we expect the devil to come at us in TV type ways. And instead, he does this kind of stuff. And we're like, well, that's not evil though, is it? Really? If you follow this trajectory for 20 years, where does it take you? It takes you to splintered homes, damaged families, and your kids going to counseling. You know what I mean? Like, we think that he's going to come at us in all of these huge ways, and he may do that. But what happens usually is that he leads us there, and we don't even know we've been hooked. Uh, there's this great Puritan, there's an old school book, and it says that the, the devil loves to do is show us the bait and hide the hook. And we take the bait of the sin, of the bad attitude, of the grumbling heart, of the complaining spirit, and it hooks us and he drags us into eternity. In 10 years, 20 years, we look back and wonder how we got got where we were. It's not because we jumped a mile wide, it's because we went one degree off course in our attitude. And 20 years later, we were lost. We need so much God's protection, awareness of that we, that's happening, awareness that that is the fight on hand, and awareness that we cannot win that on our own. We need God's power and his strength, his, the indwelling spirit inside of us to fight that fight, to protect us from being taken in and being taken under. Yeah. It's evil, and the temptation is around Every single corner. We have to be humble. And here's what we do. Here's how you do this. Here's how you fight. With prayer and this constant application of the gospel. Prayer and constant application of the gospel. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's a big difference between when Jesus prays this prayer and then when we pray this prayer. Jesus prays this, teaches us to pray this prayer. You get to the line, this last line that we're, that we're looking at today. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He asked, may I be delivered from the evil that's about to happen to me? And the answer was no. May this cup pass from me. And God said, no, you will take the punishment. And he did. So you and I can know that when we pray that, the price has already been paid. Uh, somebody said that uh, Christ throws himself on the wheels of time to be crushed at it, crushed by it, so that it can begin to run backwards. 
putting things back together. We know that he was crushed for us so that when we pray this, we know that we have been delivered from the evil one. But daily we fight. Daily we fight because the evil one is trying to take from you joy. The evil one is trying to rob from you hope, the hope of the anticipated joy that we have in Christ and focus on all these little things and he will attempt to undo hallowing of God's name in our heart with tiny irritations. He will try to undo God's kingdom coming in our lives and in our hearts and our thinking and our family with distraction. He will fight dirty in little ways that we don't even notice. So we must apply the gospel and pray for help every single day. So here's the deal. Uh, Over in Ephesians, Paul is writing about this. Just real quick. And he says this, finally be strong in the Lord uh, uh, and strengthen of his might. Uh, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Do you feel ready for that today? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, shoes on your feet, having put on the readiness that, uh, given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. The beautiful thing about this list is not something that I have to go earn. Every single one of those things is a gift given to us. The righteousness, it's not my own righteousness, it's the one being given to me by Christ. The the faith that I've given is the thing that holds me, the sort of salvation, all of these things, all of these things that are given to us as gifts and we apply these every single day when in annoyances and in direct confrontation by evil and all the things that we face, we constantly are applying the gospel. When I stumble and fall, what do I do? I apply the gospel. I am a sinner, but I am a forgiven sinner. And then I turn around and I do that in my relationships. I am forgiven, so I can therefore forgive when I am wronged and I am hurt. I constantly am longing and seeking to see others around me built up and stop throwing tiny little pity parties for myself knowing that this is the path of joy and great enjoyment in life is trusting and growing more and more dependent that God will supply all of the things that we need. We have to appropriate them in prayer. Applying them constantly to our wounds, applying constantly to our loss, and applying it constantly even to our successes and victories that we may not go astray, but be held firmly by our Savior. Yeah? Teach this to ourselves. We want to teach it to our kids. Uh, they started working this week uh, in um, in BCC Kids, teaching our children this: a lifetime of prayer, learning to pray, being taught to pray by our Savior. I love this little book. It, it uh, um, we have one on the catechism too by the same company, but it, it just it teaches them what each of these things mean. Uh, our Father who art in heaven, Lord, teach us to pray. Our Father in heaven, who is our Father in heaven? God is Jesus's Father because Jesus is our brother. God is our Father too. Is He far away? No. In His Word, He is near to us. 
like a loving father. He invites us to come and talk with him in prayer about anything and everything. He's eager to hear all our questions, fears, and joys. Our Father in heaven, you love us just like you love Jesus. Help us to trust you with anything and everything. This is how I want us all to pray. Unpacking this beautiful thing that is Trinitarian structure, looks at past, present, and future, comes in two halves, and it's just structured so beautifully. And we take this structure and we begin to pray. And I believe our anxieties and fears are transformed and we begin to live out of hope because of the anticipated we joy that we have because of the work of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness, for how you teach us and show us just over and over and over again how much you love us. Not just that you love us, but you have prepared and equipped us for this life, given us a community, placed us in a, with a people that we might know you better. May Birmingham Community Church be a place where we are constantly pointing one another to you where we are constantly reminding each other that we fight, but we do not fight on our own. We do not fight alone. But you've given us each other, constantly reminding us as we come here and align our affections and align our thinking uh, towards you, we are constantly being reminded that we are dependent for everything on you. So Father, we pray that you give us our daily bread, you sustain us, provide for us. That in all that we do, you are glorified. That much is made of you, that you are respected and that you are honored and that people just celebrate who you are because you are our Father. May your kingdom come in this church, in this place, as it is a place where uh, the greatest becomes the least, those that are have the most, give the most. Uh, those who are in need are comforted because, because we follow you. So give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, is the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.